Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Ah, just up today, my interview with Tanana Reeve Du, uh, Afrofuturist, science fiction, horror, gothic. Oh, what an interesting woman. She tells the story of how she published her first book, and that was a fabulous tale. Uh, I'm so glad I get to share that with you. You can go find it at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Learn more about them. You can go to pnwa.org. You know, they've got a conference coming up. I still, I, there may still be some appointments with agents and editors ready for available. Uh, it's in the middle of September, so we're almost there. Anyway, if you can't do this year, you do next year. They're great. They're awesome. Check them out, pnwa.org. Uh, I, you know, as I've been mentioning, I've been working with the folks at Transcending Cancer, and I will begin my three-part series this week, uh, this Thursday. Actually, let me actually check it on my calendar. I should probably know it. This, uh, thir- uh, yes, Thursday, and then the next two Thursdays after that, The Author of Your Life, How to Use Writing to Heal and Create on Purpose. If you want to sign up, you can sign up at my homepage. i got a link to it right there on the front page, my homepage. Author of your life, Transcending Cancer, highly recommend it. People, listen, this is a special one. Yeah, it is. Boy, I was so glad when I got this guy. It's none other than Lemony Snicket. Yes, sir, Lemony Snicket is the author of far too many books, including the four-volume All the Wrong Questions and the 13-volume A Series of Unfortunate Events. And he's got a brand-new book out for adults, technically, called Poison for Breakfast. When inconvenience or treachery prohibits him from making an appearance, Mr. Snicket is represented by Daniel Handler, author of seven unnerving novels himself. And we had such a great conversation about just writing, literature, children, Ah, so many good things. And I'm so glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. Daniel, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here, sir. Well, you know, I'm eager to get to Lemony Snicket's new book, Poison for Breakfast. Fair enough. I adored. I loved this book. I know I I have to admit, this is a little odd for me, this conversation. I've done, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of writers. I'm not usually a fan, but I have you to You must be exhausted. It well, I do it infrequently <laughs> enough. <laughs> frequently <laughs> enough. But I am you a have fan. like an espresso in between. You take a nap. Occasionally. A little I younger. Am a I am a fan. Oh. I'm so glad that Lemony has written a book for adults Thanks. because I just devoured that book. But before we get I'm to glad. it, devoured. Uh, let's get let's go back a little bit. Let's sure. go back up. Um, okay. So the basic eight. Yeah, that's your that was wow. That's right? a now we're backing up. Yeah, I want to go back before that, but that's your okay. first published novel, the first novel, yes, indeed. Pub, right? Yeah. That's 1998 that came out. Uh, 99. I know. Okay, I um, proofread it in 1998 on my honeymoon. That's how I can remember. You did? Yeah. And there was what a... did and what did your new wife think of that uh, <laughs> decision? Well, it was a little romantic and a little irritating. There was a mix-up with the proofreading. And so I had to do it all over again. Um, 
and they uh, they sent it to me in Paris, France, the city of Paris, France, where my wife and I were borrowing a friend's apartment for part of our honeymoon. And um, we spent like two days basically reading it out loud and making changes. Really? Um, so it was kind of romantic. Is your wife a writer also? She is an illustrator and, okay. and she does some writing as well, but she is mostly an illustrator. And of course she'd read the book a million times, but she, there was oh. something, a there was a little romantic to be like in hey, a shared apartment. Come you on, know? You're, you, you just get married right. in Paris. You know, I don't know if the literary roots of Paris are pretty cool if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and look, I know that book took a little while to find a publisher so yeah. it must have been a, really a very nice experience. You're married. You've got this book coming out. In some ways, yeah. it's quite lovely. Uh, yeah, it was lovely. I mean, I think I think like if you asked her when we were correcting the commas on page 174, <laughs> if it was she was having the best time in her life, there would be a different answer. But yeah, and particularly now that it's over, as with many horrible things, once they're over, they seem kind of romantic. They are. That's right. All right, <laughs> but 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 that book, I, you know, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but. It, it, you sent it out a lot to many people who said, yeah, no. is that true? Like 37, 37, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, not to, you were still a young fella, I assume, you know, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. Well, I got older with every rejection. So, <laughs> yeah. But you, <laughs> but I, well, I'm always interested in this. Um, how did you cope with that? Did you did you did you did you really have your mind in, the, in a great place so you just sort of let it roll off you, or was it no. really hard? Um, it was very hard. Yeah, I think particularly when um, you're starting out to get a lot of rejection because um, you know you don't have a lot of reserves to draw upon. Yeah. other than your own feeling about your own work. You know, you don't say, oh, well, everyone loved me back then. So there's still love in the world. You just think, oh no, what if I'm just, this is, yeah, it was hard. Um, and I don't really have any, uh, I don't have anything to say about that. I guess I'm supposed to give advice, right? Well, so that's you don't have to, I'm just always curious, like, yeah. you know, everybody deals with it differently. Yeah. Um, some people like, cause 37, that's a lot. And it's a lot. And, and that you kept going, there must've been some sense like, I don't know. And when you say 37, was it publishers or agents and like agents and publishers? It was publishers. I had some rejection from agents, but then um, I, I found an agent fairly quickly. Okay. And so that was good too, because she really believed in that it. That does help, doesn't it? Yeah. She said, we're going to sell this book. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it was really hard. And um, some of the letters were... It, you know, she shared the rejection letters with me, which is, I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but- um, <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, they, well, they ask you usually. Yeah. Do you want to see them? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you know, that's humiliating enough, but then sometimes the rejection letters revealed that they hadn't really read very much of the book at all. Some of them got my name wrong a little bit. So that was nice. like, okay, yeah, that's, that's not a good feeling. <laughs> it's good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, were you somebody who like, and you do feel this way to me, but I have pretty good instincts that like he said from a pretty young age, writing was kind of on your radar. Like yeah. age nine is a pretty common age for people. Absolutely. Yeah. I always wanted to be a writer. 
Yeah. Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And um, so I went to the library at a very young age. With my dad would take me usually after dinner. We'd go walk down to the library. Um, uh, as I grew older, I you know went into bookstores. I worked in bookstores. I am, right. and I just read ravenously. And I wanted to be a part of literature for sure. Right. And um, so that was um, the big drive for me. Was more it. it I was just. I loved this thing. Yeah. I loved a book appearing in front of my eyes. I love taking it down from the shelf and opening it up. And I love that kind of immersion. And that's just what I wanted to participate in. That's what I wanted. You yeah. know, I work with a lot of people, um, trying to help them with their lives and their writing. And, the, and I, from a very young age, knew I wanted to write something, you know, and knew that stories and so on. And I have, and, and hearing you describe it, I think it's hard to appreciate what a great gift just having something you love is having something that so grabs your attention all even though with all the challenges that come with there are many people who struggle just to have that or don't think it's worthy that their interest is is yeah. um, deserving well, I, of that much Does it was that make sense? definitely that changed in my perspective i think when i was young younger i felt like the distance between what you wanted and what you had was like the most painful thing in the yes, world yes yes but actually that's a lot less painful than not really knowing that's right what it is that you want that's right yeah that is yeah i've always thought the two most painful thoughts are either i don't know what i want or i know what i want but i cannot have it for whatever reasons i've invented yeah. in my mind you know yeah of course it really depends what it is that you want that's true yeah. That's true. And you just wanted to be a part of it. You just knew that this was the world you wanted to, the waters you wanted to swim in. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, the realities of that world were, were not known to me. So it seemed like right. a more glamorous place in some ways. But <laughs> um, I, but that's, that's just what it felt like, was like, I wanted to be in the, in the company of writing. I wanted to be in the company of people for whom literature was really important. And so, okay, so the basic eight comes out in 90, you said 99, 98. Yeah, 99. That was not that long before, if I'm getting my numbers right, uh, the first Lemony Snicket novel. Yeah, the basic eight was published in the spring of uh, 99. And then the first two novels in a series of unfortunate events came out in uh, that fall. So, and... Um, I don't know much about you. I know two things about you. I know two things that I, both of which might not be true. The first I heard from Andrew Sean Greer. Do you know? I love that guy. Yep. Yeah. And he said, I was interviewing him. We were talking about his life and he talked about you a little bit. And the only, the story I remember was you would call him at like one o'clock and say, I'm done working. We need to go hang out and get drinks. I don't know if he was making that up. He was admiring how quickly you worked. Is that, do you think he was telling the truth or was he? Um, or how relaxed your work schedule was. What do you well, think? Is he telling the truth? Uh, he, uh, <laughs> well, he and I, I will say he and I are very, very close friends. So my stuttering is more that I don't, it's hard to sum up uh, our relationship with each other and each other's work. We help each other out a lot. We oh, work good. side by side in cafes. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's great. So we're very good friends. Um, and I would say that in general, my work method is to produce a lot of material and then worry about it once you've written it. 
Right. And he likes to do his worrying first. <laughs> and occasionally that is all that he has time for that day. Is to worry. So, a good yeah. five hours of worrying ahead of time. Yeah, you know how it is. You yeah. look at your calendar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to get those hours in. So, um, you know, and his method has produced uh, luminous, gorgeous novels, one of which won him the Pulitzer Prize. So there's nothing wrong with his method at all, except that he does spend a great portion of every day worrying. That is a downside. Does he bring his worry to you, his good writer friend, so that you can soothe him? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I bring my worries to him. It's it's not like a one-way road. But... um, I am of the philosophy that I would rather stay at my desk and write 10 terrible pages. Right. And so that does mean sometimes that I'm that I'm done earlier. I mean, I do think that there's a great joy in being self-employed and being an artist. And so I think sometimes to get to like take advantage of that freedom is, is delicious. Yeah. Well, it is yeah. also, you can get a lot done on your own schedule. I if I've spent eight hours working, I'm not happy. Like actual eight hours. It's usually, you know, much less than that because when I work, I work quickly. Yeah, and I think what he's referring to is that for a little while in San Francisco, there was kind of a a group of us who were all self-employed and we were all in different arts. And we would kind of, one person would send an email and say like, I think I'm done for the day. Ah, And if it got enough traction, (laughs) then we would all go, we would all meet at this beer hall in the lower height that was next to a sausage place. You would get a, you'd order a sausage and you'd go to the beer hall and the sausage place bang would bang on the wall. Uh You'd go and get your sausage. And that was kind of, um, you know, wallowing in the pleasure of not having to be in an office when everyone else had to be. Um, so that's but, the first thing I yeah. heard about you. That was the, first, the second thing I heard was it's not that, a bad first impression. I think. It was that was I heard after, but when I first discovered the books, my son was reading them. I was like, God, this is great. It was the only time I don't get jealous, but I got a little jealous. I got a Ooh. little jealous of the voice of Lemony Snicket. I just adored it. I, I thought, ah, I just read it as much as I could, although it was for him. Um, but I heard that either it was your agent or a or an editor said, have you thought about writing, that it was su- it suggested to you that you write for something for young people. Is that true? Well, it was it was because of the basic eight. It was because of getting 37 rejections for the basic eight. Oh, and the basic okay. eight is, is about a high school. It's about students in high school. It's not necessarily for young people, right. but it's about right. young people. And that, I mean, it's it was so long ago that YA literature, as we think of it, was not really existing. No. And in fact, setting a novel in high school seemed kind of crazy to the publishers who were weird. Doing it. Is it yeah. weird to think about now? Right. And not only that, but the high school students are um, having sex and they're drinking and um, and nowadays that's the saving grace. That's why the basic aid is still in print. If they weren't doing that, no one would be interested. And so. Um, so, but because of that, some people said, well, you write really well about young people. Would you be interested in writing something ah. for young people? And I had this um, kind of mock Gothic novel that I was trying to get at that wasn't working. And as soon as I realized that if the heroes were children, that it would open up all these possibilities for me. And so it was, it was somebody saying just the right invitation where I went, oh, I think I have been writing a, a novel for young people. I just didn't know that that's what I was doing. 
So um, I was talking to my niece about the fact that I was going to be interviewed. I was talking to her yesterday at her at her grandmother's 84th birthday. And my niece, okay. was, I'm going to be I'm not going to get mad. I wasn't invited. Well, I actually my that woman now has a copy of Poison for uh, Breakfast because I described it to her in such glowing terms. She said, give me a copy. I said, here you go. So that's her next okay. book. So maybe she just I'll finished reading all the light we cannot yeah see and now she's going to read your book <laughs> all right okay. there's really not going to be any light she can see it all then that's, that's right. but i mentioned that i was going to be interviewing you to my niece who's 16 and she was like oh oh yeah yeah but i said did you read the book she said well no i saw the series and this i said you know they're all good i said but this is one i mean this is one book where you have to the voice of the book is so important to the experience that was my I don't like to often recommend a book in that way. There's some, but I do feel that that was the case. And so did you find the voice quickly? Did you sort of have that first or did that evolve for you? Can you even remember? No, I think I had it. I mean, I, I, I had it pretty quickly. Um, part of it was because, as I said, I was starting this graphic novel, I mean, this um, Gothic novel. And right. I was working very solidly in this Gothic tradition. So I was reading all these old novels, which often have these narrators who don't come into it until later or are important in some way. But then also it seems like a good way to kind of distance the the visceral horror of what happens. Right, he's like a buffer between the reader and that, yeah. You have this feeling of like, it happened a long time ago and it's in the distant past. And also that our narrator, seems like easily distractible and not reliable. (laughs) So in some way, maybe it's all going to be okay. Right, right. Um, So that was, I mean, that I think that part of the voice came pretty naturally to me and it seemed to fit with what I was doing. Um, Were you a fan of uh, Raul Dahl? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're sort of a, I don't, you're a relative of his almost in terms of the, the body of work. Yeah, I mean, I think um, he he does a similar thing where he's talking to the reader. It isn't always yeah. a conscious narrator uh-uh. uh, like Lemony Snicket, but he'll say, you know, you and I would never <laughs> eat the kind of sandwich that right. the Twits are eating right now or something like that. And it's a nice feeling. It feels like you're with, you're with someone in the book, which is well, nice. He also recognized that children were would, were okay with horrible things happen like supposedly terrible like you know if if presented in the right way parents could die I think about the giant peach where they get hit by rhinoceros in the first bit and so they were okay with these that if you do it right they actually are good with bad things happening doesn't everything doesn't have to be coded over for them well I mean I think when you're a child you're terrified a good portion of the day right you're wandering (laughs) through a world that doesn't really make any sense to you and you're being warned a lot yeah don't go over here (laughs) don't step on this don't touch this over here and so i think you recognize a world that's full of peril um and so yeah i mean whenever anyone says oh these books you know introduce children to all these terrible things or they'll often say that about children's literature as if the children were previously unaware of death until charlie and the chocolate factory taught them death or something and it doesn't work that way um they're already thinking about these things and the frantic machinations to pretend those things aren't really happening. And they come from a real place as someone who has a kid myself. I remember when my son was little and the urge to say, 
everything is all right. It looked like something bad happened or you're sad about something, but everything is fine. We fixed it. Yeah. And, um, and it's hard to be in an honest place when you're face to face with a child. But I think that's why children's literature is a history of terrible things happening. Yeah. You know, that yeah. like the Grimm's Brothers fairy tales, they don't have a lot of <laughs> fairy tales where like people date and they get along and then they <laughs> yeah. move together and then they no. become the prince or the princess. That doesn't how, that isn't how it goes. And um, I think often the reason why that literature sticks is because it is so terrifying and so bewildering. So it's not even like that they're up for that. I actually think it's fairly essential. Yeah. And of course it's pretty essential in adult literature too. Just people just don't like to talk about it. No, I you know. I, I always think I raise kids, a couple of kids and I always think, man, you don't want anything to happen to them. You want their lives to just, <laughs> you think you want their lives to just go smoothly. And then you, then you create characters. And what do you do? You just think of, I remember John Irving saying he wrote a book when thinking of someone he loved. Oh, I'm sorry. That's sorry. okay. Yeah. He thinks of someone he loves and then imagines the worst thing that could happen to them. That's his recipe for coming up with a plot. Yeah. Well, I mean, which again, like it was the series of unfortunate events was coming to an end as my son was young. And it was really a boon for like the last few books of the series because when you're a parent, I think particularly when you're a first time parent, um, you are brainstorming about terrible things that can happen. Right. That's all you do. Right. 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 It's like you bring your baby into a room and then you're like, is there a dog? Is there a plug? Is there like something he's in a That's trip? Right. Break? Is there, yes. you know, like, is there... And so it's a constant brainstorming session for what could go wrong. So it's really easy. You know, suddenly you're like, I never thought about that swimming pool, you know, oh. It's yeah. like now it's a thriller all the time when I'm in a house where there is a swimming pool and here's my toddler like running around happily. I know. Yeah. I remember we had kids. We went and took this thing called Baby Safe at the local children's hospital to prepare us. And I suddenly realized my home was just a maze of it's a death trap from yeah. every corner, every Oh, okay, I promise I, like, I want to get just a rusty knife collection. I That's right. have my rusty knife collection. <laughs> All right, poison for breakfast. So <laughs> Lemony Snicket writes a book for adults. I love this book. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I loved it, one of the reasons I loved it is that it, it is a book about a guy, Lemony Snicket in this case, who walks around and thinks about stuff. And that is mostly, I know that doesn't sound like a high a pitch, but that is largely what happens. He walks around the world yeah. And he thinks about things based on the experience he had early at breakfast. Yeah. Oh, I when I first started writing novels as a very young man, it was my only desire to try to find a story where that would be all that happened. That because that's all I ever did is I walked around and thought about stuff. Yeah. And I must commend you. Aside, I think of Ulysses, he did it in that, but much that's longer. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, there are a few good walking books, I would say. Yeah. There aren't um, that many, but this is a, a good one, I gotta say. Okay. Yeah. So, so you decide Lemony Snicket or Lemony Snicket decides there needs to be a book for adults. Talk to me about that decision. If you can remember. Well, I mean, I'm never really that interested in the different categories of literature because they're made up by the people who are selling them. Gotcha. And, and God right. bless them for trying to sell books because right. it's crazy to do. So right. I don't mean to criticize them in and of that, but it just means that's not that interesting to me. Okay. And um, I, but this book for sure, um, my children's publisher was like, was a little nervous about it. And it is a kind of conservative time in children's publishing. And so 
I understand that they were nervous about it. And so the good people at Norton just said like, well, we think everybody should read it. And so we would like to publish it. And I said, that sounds like a very good plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, I didn't sit down and say, and today is the time for the book for adults, because certainly many adults read all kinds of snicket books. Of course. And, of course. Um, and, you know, labeling them one thing or the other isn't really that interesting for me. But um, I, what it feels to me is a, it's, it's the closest thing to a nonfiction book that Lemony Snicket can write, even though yes. in some ways all of his books are nonfiction because it's the story right. of Lemony Snicket and what he's doing. But um, this book has the most incidents in it that are connected with the actual world. Um, the world that we're, you know, stuck in right now. Right. So that feels to me like it's big difference is that um, you can go and look up the movies and uh, musicians okay. and things like that, that I talk about, they're all real in this book. And yes. um, that's felt like an interesting opportunity to me. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, 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 um, I admired how you, you, it seems like there was a, a central challenge to this book, which is, keeping it interesting, allowing it to be, well, allowing it to this be what it was. Every book, my friend. I know, every I know, but you weren't going to use any, there wasn't, there was a lot less happening. And so you had to sink into where the, where the, the pleasure was in it um, and had to trust that. Now, maybe that didn't even cross your mind, but. No, of course it did. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you couldn't do, I mean, in general, when writing a series of unfortunate events and with all the wrong questions too, I listened to the advice of Raymond Chandler, who said, when a doubt have three guys come in through the door with guns. Um, uh-huh. and, you can do that. Yeah, and you, and, and Poison for Breakfast is not the kind of book where that could be done. Um, and so, yeah, I just paid careful attention. But also I think, I always think um, when people talk about pacing, in fiction, part of it is that you have to you have to get someone to acclimate, right? I mean, it feels like music. It's like the greatest dance song in the world is going to be irritating before you've had your morning coffee, right? right? So how do you lead someone in? How do you say like, here's what we're doing. We're going to be doing right. this, right? And I think that's actually the real feat of pacing, right? Is to say, are you ready to do this thing? I'm going to make you ready to do this thing, right. and um, so that that took, I think, some doing to try to lead people to a place. I didn't want to trick them and say, look, it's a book of high adventure and like, right. you know, reflex excitement on every page. I wanted to say, this is more a book about thinking about things. <laughs> and, um, and I have found that also part of it came from the fact that when my son was younger and starting to choose books on his own, um, he was drawn to nonfiction a lot. Oh. And um, nonfiction for young people is kind of spotty. There's yeah. like the history of the civil rights movement. And then there's like lizards of North America and like <laughs> God bless both those things. Right. But, um, I just think there, there, there isn't a lot of, uh, the kind of books that I enjoy in nonfiction, which is just kind of picking something up that's chewing something over, yeah. you know, an idea or a moment in time or a kind of culture or a, you know, a, a biological discovery or something like that. And um, I know that young people like to think about that when you talk with young people, they want to talk about whatever is right. on their mind, whatever they've been thinking about, whatever's happening in the world. And so um, 
it seemed like a time to try to see if there was space for that kind of book. So in many ways, it was written thinking about young people and about like, can you write a book that's paced like this, that yeah. works like this, that isn't only for people who are old enough to already know what it is. Yeah. It's also a book about philosophy mm -hmm. in many ways. And like yeah. what that really, you know, it's an interesting thing about philosophy is I was thinking it gets broke. There's two kinds of philosophy. There's uh, actually, it was, who was it? Oh, one of the, somebody I interviewed talked about philosophologists, which are people who study philosophers. Right. And themselves not really philosophical often. They just have studied many, not always. Well, I often think that's like the disappointment when you go to college and you yes. take a philosophy class is you think it's going to be, how do What's we know life about? <laughs> and instead it's like, read this book by Spinoza. And that's right. Yes. Kind of say. Yeah. yeah. And so you think, oh, I didn't know philosophy was just book reports. I don't want to yes. do book reports all day long. Yeah. yeah. This is, but, is actually yeah. wondering why are we, like, or what's it about on some level? Like, what's going on? What is... I mean, I think it's about, about like... being in bewildering circumstances. And that, for me anyway, um, I feel that when I'm confused and when I'm bewildered, that I, it's the closest I'm coming to actually understanding the world. That when I'm sure of myself, when I'm certain is what I really... I'm right. not in touch with what's happening. But when I'm bewildered, when I just feel like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's happening, but that's a big, powerful moment. And I think that's, I mean, to kind of circle back, I think that's why children's literature has so much of this stuff. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of, um, there's kind of the Joseph Campbell school of, an, of analyzing children's literature, which is like, it's about the hero's quest and the arc that he takes and he does right. these things. But I think it's actually all about the premise it's all about, you know, once upon there was a time there was a king and the king had a daughter and she never laughed. Like, what? And then he <laughs> said, anyone who could make her laugh because marry her. Right. What? And so that's super confusing. But I think when you're young and you live in a world that's like, okay, we're going to pick you up. We're going to strap you into a piece of plastic. You're going to go really fast in this machine. There's going to be blurs out the window. And then when you get there, it's grandma, grandma. <laughs> You know, and that's, the, and that's what you do every day as a child. It's like everything is bewildered. Here, eat this. Don't eat that over there. Whatever you don't eat. You know, and you're learning all this stuff. And so when you hear a story that says like, you know, and the ogre said, you have to bring me three things and right. then I'll let you into the room. It's like, that makes totally It makes as much sense as like, anything I else. That. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to play that game. Right. So uh, yeah, for me, it's so the, for me, the kind of philosophizing is about just reminding that we live someplace bewildering, but it's very confusing to live here. And certainly it was written um, before the pandemic, but you know, the, the way in which in the past couple of years, we've been confronted by what do we really know about this? Right. Right. What are we, what are we really doing here? What is, right. what's important to us? You know, what are things that we swore that we could live, we couldn't live without, that it turns out we can yeah. live without? What are the versions of that that we want to keep? You know, and like, what, what is risk and what is danger? What do we mean when it's not safe to do something right now? And um, so I think that kind of questioning, those kind of conversations are really essential. Well, it's a beautiful book. It's a Thanks. beautiful book. Thank and, you. Uh, I'm so glad you wrote it and I'm so glad I got to read it. I have, uh, well, listen, um, are you going to do any kind of, uh, 
virtual events for this besides talking to me? Are you going to try and do any? Yeah, I'm at some bookstores here and there. I'll be yeah. at the uh, Powerhouse Bookstore. I will, I'll be at the yeah. Powerhouse Bookstore tomorrow. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of festivals uh, and things that are going on um, for people who are interested. I'm easily findable on social media where such things will be advertised with great frequency. Um, <laughs> There's still, there's still some things in person that are happening that I'm excited about. Oh, nice. There's some things okay. on the screen that we're going to make as fun as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the strange business of um, of selling literature. I'm usually on the road when something like this happens. Yeah, I'm usually yeah. like airplane yeah. to airplane. Um, and um, I miss some of that. I miss the part where I meet people who are really reading and where a yeah. conversation like this that's in a room where other people were going to raise their hand and say something is more interesting to me yeah. than um, than not doing it. But I don't really miss like an airport that much. I'd be or like a hotel breakfast. I don't yeah. miss that much. Don't either. miss that? <laughs> no. Yeah. All it's right. Like well, that thing where you're on your phone looking for like the good coffee place. <laughs> You're like, I don't see like that the one there, but I feel like around the corner is like a real one. What can you what can you tell me? It's the romance of the book tour unveiled. Well, um, it beats working. It does. I've had a job and I've done this. This is better than a job. All right. Listen, I could talk to you for a very long time, but our time is just about up here. I have one more question for you. Okay. What I'd like you to do is finish this sentence. Yeah. Writing all the writing you've done. Good and bad. Long and short, all the writing you've done has taught you anything. It's taught you what? All the writing I've done has taught me anything. Yes, sir. I would say that I have learned that it is the, the more you connect with other things, the more you connect yourself to the world, the more nurtured and welcome you will feel. How's that? That's beautiful. So there you go. Connect to the world and you will feel nurtured and welcome. How good is that? That's pretty good. That is pretty damn good. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're great as always. I'm going to be back again next week talking to friend of sh- and friend of the show, Kevin O'Brien, the f- nicest, scary guy in the world. Till then, I want all of you to go find something you love to do. Something. Doesn't matter, just something you love to do and do it.